Hello, everyone. Good morning. Uh, my name is Alan, um, and today we are going to continue on part two of our series called Core Values. The week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we first started this series, Pastor Heath went over our first core value, the presence of God. If you are not here uh, uh, that week and you would like to search for it, you can go to our website at reachcommunitychurch.com. Test, 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 test. Man, it's it's not your ear or microphone. Right. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. It's all right. All right. So uh, we're going to continue on part two of our series uh, called Core Values. And the core value that we're going to go over today is the Word of God. As I was saying, um, if, uh, uh, if you didn't listen to our first core value that he taught, you can go on our website at reachcommunitychurch.com, go under the ser- sermons tab and listen to it. Pastor Heath covered how we completely acknowledge the fact that without the presence of God in our Sunday morning services, in our people, or in our community groups, we have no capacity for real life transformation. This week, uh, we're going to go over uh, the next one, the, the next one, the Word of God. So if you can pray with me, please. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to come here today. Um, Father, I pray, I thank you for the, the, the mercy that, that you have on us. I thank you for giving us what you, we, do, uh, we do not deserve. And I thank you for not giving us what we do deserve. Uh, we are completely re- relying on you in this spiritual journey. And I pray that... As we continue to grow in your likeness, that your word becomes the number one priority above everything else in our lives. Thank you for everything that you continue to do for us, and thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that you paid. In your name we pray. Amen. Our statement of faith regarding the word of God goes as follows. The basis and direction of our ministry will be formed and founded on the Word of God. We believe and trust in its authority and power. This will be evident in every Sunday morning service and every community group. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. The Bible is the complete revelation for the, uh, of His will for the salvation of His saints. The Bible is the final authority of all Christian faith and life. This is what we hold to be true about the Word of God. Some would say it's a pretty big commitment to base all authority of our faith into some book written by men. Others would say it's simply a guide for our faith in which we can take the 
parts which we like best and neglect the others and still others. And we may be all guilty of this at some point or another. We'll go as far as saying and proclaiming it is the final authority of our faith and believe it was written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But we'll also neglect or diminish the importance of it in our daily lives. So, why, why is the Bible so important? Why is it so important that the Bible may be true? What is the difference if some parts are true and others are not? Why is this so important to Christians, to Christendom? Would it matter if the Bible is fallible or infallible? Would it matter if the Bible is errant or inerrant? Now, I know that's a mouthful of questions, and I sure do hope that when you live here, you live with a better understanding and or answers to the questions I just posed. Uh, today's message at times might feel more like you're back in school or listening to a lecture, so I do hope I don't get too boring on you. One of the ways in which we can describe what the Bible is or what is its nature is inerrancy. While this word never appears anywhere in the Bible, and it's surely not one to come up every Sunday morning, it is a theological term in which it, in which it expresses a truth regarding, uh, regarding the Bible's validity and lack of error. Much more so like the word or term Trinity. The word Trinity never once shows up in the Bible, but it does give an explanation of, about what the Bible has to say about God's nature. So much so like the word Trinity, the word inerrancy explains the truth about what the Bible has to say on this subject. It explains what the Bible has to say about itself. It is Without error. Inerrancy, being a relatively new term, explains and more so describes a concept in which the Bible has been teaching, has actually stated for a long time and has been teaching also for a long time. It is a concept that the church has held from the beginning. Inerrancy or infallibility means that when all the facts are known... The Bible, in the original scriptures, when properly interpreted, will prove itself to be without error in all matters that it covers. This includes areas of theology, history, science, and all other disciplines of knowledge. John Piper explains it like this. The Bible being inerrant means that the biblical authors with God as their guide do not teach anything false or command as God's will anything displeasing to God. What the authors intend for us to understand or obey properly understood in its nearer and wider context is true. It is not errant. It is not false. It is not misleading. It corresponds to the way things really are. It commands behaviors and attitudes that God really wills. And all of this 
continues to bring us deeper into the doctrine of inerrancy, that is the set of beliefs held by the Christian faith, which explains the Bible is without error, and therefore the ultimate authority of all Christian faith and life. Simply put, God does not lie. The Bible is the Word of God, and therefore the Bible does not lie because it's truth. There's a few verses I want to share with you today that touch on these three premises. The first premise is that it's impossible for God to lie. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? John chapter 17 verse 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. What is truth? Your word is Psalm chapter 119 verse 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Second, it's clear that the Bible is the word of God. In Matthew chapter 24 verse 35, Jesus states, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In the Old Testament, we find that Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, declares, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. And the third premise is that the Bible does not lie because it is truth. It is inspired by God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In the same book, 2 Timothy, different chapter, chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. And lastly, 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 28 says, And now, O Lord God, You are God, and Your words are true, and You have promised this good thing to Your servant. We find that the Bible draws its Authority and inerrancy from the undisputable fact that it is inspired by God. From the verses we just read, the Bible teaches that everything written in it, all scripture is inspired, is breathed out by God. Sometimes we may find parts in the Bible where God told men exactly the words to say, such as in Jeremiah 1, 9. But for the most parts, uh, part more often than not, he uses their own experiences, their own thoughts, their own vocabularies to produce his own perfect will, to produce his own perfect, infallible, inerrant word. 
This is explained further by the Apostle Peter who writes, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 20 through 21. The Holy Spirit was tirelessly, vigorously, diligently and actively involved in bringing God's words to humans. We know that from reading the scripture and observing the different styles of writing and different levels of expertise in writing that God did not merely use men as machines or as any moving mechanical device to bring forth the inspired word. If he had done this, we could probably see and expect to find a consistent writing style throughout. We would not see the beautiful poetry found in the Bible, more so specifically in the book of Psalms. We would not see the prophetic statements and prophetic books written in it, such as Daniel, Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation, a personal favorite. Uh, we will not see all the historical narrative of the factual accounts we can find in the books of Joshua, Ruth, Esther, Matthew, Luke, John, or Acts. Or we will not see the epistles, uh, epistles, parables, genealogies, written books, or wisdom books found in the Bible. Somehow, God used a specific set of skills, backgrounds, and circumstances of the authors to transmit his words. And let me say that one more time. God presided over, was in charge of, was responsible for, and supervised human authors to bring forth the inspired word. He used human authors so that using their own individual personalities, experiences, set of circumstances, thought processes, they composed and recorded without error the Bible. We find throughout scripture that the Bible claims for itself a unique and supreme authority, a claims for itself a position of unique and supreme authority. In doing so, it only appeals to its own authority for proof because there is no greater authority to which it can go back to. After all, if something is the ultimate authority, to what else can it appeal? Were the Bible to appeal to our reason to endorse it, its authority, it would implicitly show that human reason is of higher authority. Wayne uh, Grudem, a prominent evangelical theologian, wrote in his book titled Systematic Theology, which is one of his most celebrated works in Christian universities and theologians, the following regarding the authority of Scripture. We can define the doctrine of Scripture's authority as follow. The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word in Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Through the work of, through the work and power of the Holy Spirit, 
God spoke through men without violating their own thought processes and their own vocabulary, and yet they were able to present and create the work of the Bible without violating God's truth. The inerrancy of the Bible speaks of truthfulness. In doing so, it does not speak of taking every word literal, but it does not prevent the use of ordinary language in its writing. The inerrancy of the Bible is also not the degree of precision with which the facts are presented or or events are reported. And let me give you a few examples of this. In John chapter 10 verse 9, for instance, Jesus states, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not look at the doors in my house and think what I'm actually looking at is Jesus. There's actually a few doors in my house I need to replace or fix. And my beautiful wife actually helps to remind me of this. (laughs) Every time I walk through a door, any door, I surely do not experience the green luscious pastures that Jesus talks about here. But from reading and studying these words, what Jesus is really saying, what Jesus is being persistent in, is that the belief in him as the Messiah and as the one and only Son of God is the only way of being saved from hell, and those who enter will receive eternal life. Another way this happens is in Psalm chapter 113, verse 3. Where it says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Now we know that the sun does not rise at all, but that the earth rotates to bring the sun into view. What the Bible is doing here is not using a scientific fact, but it's using ordinary human language to convey its truth. That from the first moment we are awake, the first moment of consciousness to, to, of consciousness to the last moment before sleep, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Another way we can see this happening in the Bible is with the precision or lack thereof in the usage of numbers and measurements in certain passages. For example, in Psalm chapter 139 verses 17 through 18, it says how... Precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I will count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Now, if we focus on the first part of this verse, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I will count them, they are more than the sand. Does that mean that To figure out the amount of thoughts God has, we need to go out there and count each grain of sand. No, the Bible was not being precise in the amount of thoughts God has. Rather, it was giving an indication, an estimation, if you will. This verse, we can make the connection that the psalmist was referring to God's thoughts as being infinite. If you do decide to do that, however, and want to figure out how many thoughts God has and want to count each grain of sand, do not count on me 
to do that. I will be busy that day. Let me provide another example of this, a more personal example. Maybe it's a good one, maybe it's not. A little over 10 years ago, me and my family took a trip over to Clearwater, Florida. The trip, my dad said, took 10 hours. I absolutely hate long trips in a car. Maybe that'll change someday, but I hate them. I loathe them. (laughs) So the thought of being in a car for 10 hours was dreadful. 600 minutes, I said, in my mind, I'll just watch, you know, all three of the Lord of the Rings movies and be done with it. So I asked my dad again, hey, are you sure it's exactly 10 hours? Is not more, not a minute more? No, he said. Ask me again and we'll make the trip last 15 hours. (laughs) I remained quiet. So we took our show on the road and... By the time nine hours had passed, being very much done with the trip, I was hopeful that we only had one hour to go. I asked my dad, and he said we were about an hour and 30 minutes away from our destination. 30 more minutes of driving than what I was told. Not a big deal, but back then, being the brat that I was, it was a big deal. Now... Had my dad lied in telling me it was going to be a trip that took 10 hours but didn't? I don't don't think he, he lied. He gave me a calculation, an indication of how long it was going to be. The 10 hour response was much more a useful estimation of how long it was going to take. The number might have been, the actual number might have been 10 hours, 27 minutes, 35 seconds. Our GPS might have said 10 hours or MapQuest back then. Um, But as it happens at various moments in our lives, it was my impatient, thoughtless self, inconsiderate self that became slightly bitter at that moment and did not take into account that the drive time may vary every time. Due to weather, traffic, gas stops, food stops, bathroom stops. Much more so like our lives and God's word, we become impatient with God and may grow bitter towards Him at times and do not see the reality that in our spiritual journey we will have stops. Uh, Another word I can use there is trials. But going back to what my dad has said. Had he been conflicting or contradictory to the fact of how long our trip was going to be? Or had he been inerrant without error in what he said? And here is a pivotal point of what we are talking about in the matter of inerrancy. The inerrancy of the Bible speaks of truthfulness. It is not the degree of precision or with, with which the facts or commands are presented. In the parable of the unforgiven servant in Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 22, Peter asked our Lord Jesus, how often shall he forgive his brother? Peter said, up to seven times, Lord. 
Jesus said in one of his Jesus' response, Jesus being Jesus, No, I say to you, uh, not to, I don't say, I, let me quote, let me quote Jesus. <laughs> I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seven, seventy times seven. Now what, what's, uh, what's seventy times seven? <laughs> that took me a while. That, that's good. <laughs> I had a punchline for how long it was going to take you guys, but I can't use it anymore. 490. So does that mean that at 491 times, we won't forgive? Retaliation is mine. Unforgiveness is mine at last. No, that's surely not what is meant there. The number that is meant there is a number of Boundlessness. It is not a precise number, 70 times 7, 490. It is an always number. Another verse we can look at is Isaiah chapter 55 verse 12 where it says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Do we expect for the mountains to actually sing or for the trees to actually clap? Maybe not in the terms our finite minds understand as singing and clapping, since it is Scripture itself who backs up the idea that all of creation worships Him. But the inerrancy of the Bible does not speak about taking every word literal, but it does not prevent the use of ordinary language to convey its truth. The Word of God is truth. The Word of God is infallible. The Word of God is inerrant. The Word of God is without error. But how could this be? How could God have used fallen human beings, sinful human beings, to record in paper His majestic book? To produce the word of truth without having to dictate every single word to them, but allowing them to use their own individual personalities. How? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) The perfect comparison or explanation to this could very well be the birth of Jesus Christ and the agent that God used to bring, to give us Christ in the flesh. The virgin Mary, God gave us Christ in the flesh through Mary. Was Mary part of the lineage uh, of Adam and Eve that fell from Eden? Yeah, she was. Was Mary a sinner? Maybe our Catholic friends might say otherwise, but yeah, she was a, a sinner. And yet, she gave birth to the Son of God. Jesus was her child. She carried him for nine months, and none of her sinfulness tainted him whatsoever. He was in the flesh, in human terms, the Son of Mary. And so, we have that as comparison to the Scriptures. Where God plants the seed in Mary, she becomes the mother of 
Jesus, that child is yet not touched with any of the sinfulness or weaknesses of Mary. And so the word of God. God using human authors to produce a perfect scripture untainted by the human instrument he uses. The importance of the Bible's truthfulness and power is pivotal to the lives of those who call themselves Christians to us. It is pivotal to our development into the likeness of Christ. Its authority is at the very core of the foundations of our faith. But what difference does the authority of Scripture make? Why does it matter? There are many ways in which the truthfulness, the inerrancy, the authority of the Bible matters a great deal. But ultimately, the Scriptures do not have a book in mind. The matter of it is a person. The matter of it is the works of a person. Jesus Christ. The point that we find with ourselves, the point that we find ourselves with right now is that at various moments of our lives, we proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior. We accept that the Bible is inerrant. We accept the Bible's authority, but may miss the mark on prioritizing the Bible in our daily lives. Have you ever encountered someone who proclaims Jesus as Lord, who proclaims to have had discernment from the Lord, but may miss the mark on prioritizing the Bible. And there's something wrong there. There's something off. Have you ever met someone like that? I have encountered someone like that, and many, many times I see him. In the mirror. Lord is defined as someone or something having power, authority, or influence, a master or ruler. A Lord is someone who exercises authority over you, who gives you marching orders, who has the ability to compel you to obey, and who requires you to submit to obligation and duty. If Christ is our Lord, then He has complete authority over our lives. He has sovereign authority over us. How will Jesus apply? How will He exercise that sovereign authority over us? How do we get our orders from Him? How do we get His guidance? If it's not from the Bible, where? The Holy Spirit's main tool to do all of this is His Word. Jesus says in John chapter 14 verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit from whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Coincidentally, here Jesus was talking to his 
disciples. The theological topics, ideas, subjects, insights, and revelations were brought to them by the Holy Spirit. And he also brought to remembrance to them the things that Jesus taught so that they could write the word of truth. In the same token, the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance to us the written word, the Bible. Like we talked about earlier, the Holy Spirit empowered the apostles in their ministry, helping them produce the New Testament. And so the rest of the Bible is a lamp for our feet, a light on our path. Psalm 119.105 We want to affirm the Lordship of Christ, but our Lord is almost unable to take immediate action into our lives, he really can't do anything. I'm not saying salvation is contingent on us knowing the Bible cover to cover. Or if we miss a day, we're in big trouble. I mean, year two of the one-year Bible plan. <laughs> I, and that's not a joke. That's, <laughs> I wish it was a joke. But by missing some time from... The word, our spirits, run into the danger of becoming stagnant. He has a very difficult time conveying any mandate to us because his word is far from our hearts. And if I can invite the worship team up, please. Our spiritual journey on this earth is very much so like a house. With a house, you get many things coming at it. You get rain coming from above and sometimes hell. You get strong winds coming from the sides and sometimes debris or tree branches. You get roots coming in from below and sometimes animals or insects. If you don't maintain your house, something will eventually give. If you don't take care of it, if you don't prepare yourself. Your roof might get a leak, the siding or brick on your house might get dirty or blown off. The concrete on your driveway, the, I'm sorry, the concrete on your driveway might also break or your pipes might also get clogged. You have to maintain it. You have to take care of it. You have to prepare it. Much more so like our Spirit, if we don't maintain it, if we don't take care of it, something in our spirit will give in. Temptation to, prove, uh, temp, uh, temptation to sin will prove Lord over our lives, not Christ. What is your spiritual roof leak? Is it lying? Is it pride? Is it stealing? Is it gluttony? Is it self-pity? Is it a defiant spirit? Is it envy? I don't know if I said envy again. Maybe, maybe I need to work on envy. Is it lust? We maintain our spirit with God's word, whose, the focal, whose focal point is Jesus, the giver of life. 
Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. James 4, 8. In one of our conversations, Pastor Heath said the following about, the, about this subject. We show our belief in the inerrancy of the Bible and its authority over our lives in the things that we do in our everyday life. If we become slow to anger, if we are patient or not patient, if we forgive, if we are considerate of others, if we are not self-seeking, if we self-examine ourselves, if we own up to our mistakes or errors. How are you responding to the authority of the Word of God? Are we being obedient to it in how we act daily? And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Isaiah 58:11. What will be your commitment to the word? How will its authority affect your daily lives? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for allowing us to come here today. I pray that as we go about our days, I pray that you continue to give us rest. I pray that you continue to give us strength so that we may work diligently with the things that we need to work with outside and internally in our spirit. I pray that you burden our hearts with the things that you want us to change and the things that and in the ways that you want us to become more so like your son. In your name we pray. Amen.